Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi and welcome. Welcome to a brand new year. A Shana Tova to each and every one of you. Hope everybody had a great Rosh Hashanah and that everything that you wanted to accomplish on Rosh Hashanah, particularly from a spiritual point of view, was fully accomplished. That the davening was good, that the atmosphere was good, that you were able to uh, usher in a brand new year with all sorts of great and wonderful hachlotas, uh, with great and wonderful decisions of things that we are going to strive for in this coming year. And hopefully it will be a beautiful, blessed and a wonderfully positive year for each and every one of us, everybody, all over the world. Um, please, God, this year of Tov Shin Pei of 5780 should be everything that we hope that it will be. Great, wonderful, rich in blessings. Um, and please, God, only good things for each and every individual during this coming year. Well... Today, we always, the day after Rosh Hashanah, we kick off the new year actually with a fast day. And yes, if you didn't know, today is a fast day. The fast began early this morning, probably sometime before 5 a.m. for those who were brave enough to get up to eat early this morning. And uh, then continues till approximately 6.30 this afternoon, this evening. And the fast is called the fast of Gedalia. Now, it is the... Only There are only two fasts that carry the names of individuals, of course, the fast of Esther, which comes before Purim, uh, but there we're talking about a queen, uh, Queen Esther, and the fast, of course, um, commemorating the fact that she and Mordechai chose to fast in order to help the Jewish people with their tshuva, with their repentance, and in order to bring about a kind of a spiritual class action uh, that um, really... Uh, spelt success for Esther in her endeavors to have the terrible campaign of Haman and Achashverosh completely overturned. But here we have a fast day by somebody else's name. It is the fast of Gedalia. So who was Gedalia and what was and what is this fast day all about? Well, if we go back to 423 years before the common era, so that's uh, two and a half thousand years ago, if we go all the way back, um, to uh, that era, and we would focus on Israel, on Jerusalem, something tragic happened on this day. And that was that a man by the name of Gedalia ben Achikam, who had been appointed the Jewish governor of the land of Israel, um, albeit for a short period of time, following the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, or the first temple, Gedalia was unfortunately assassinated. According to most opinions, the assassination actually took place place on Rosh Hashanah, but uh, being that we cannot fast on uh, Rosh Hashanah, the fast is postponed until today. And um, it was actually a um, a killing of an individual which um, otherwise would not have been marked with such a tremendous uh, date that Jews all over the world keep this fast of Gedalia. But the fact is that his um, his death, his assassination, brought about a real crackdown from the authorities and the majority of the Jews who were left in Israel. And although there was only a small remnant of Jewish life that remained in Israel, they all fled to Egypt um, immediately after this assassination due to the clampdown and due to the fact that it was just now intolerable and impossible to stay there. And so really 
the date marks kind of a purge in a way of um, the remnant of the Jews after the first temple um, in Israel and um, the entire land of Israel kind of in a spiritual sense then was left to be completely fallow and empty of Jewish life, of Torah learning, of mitzvot and so on. So, four, two, three, four hundred and twenty-three years, <coughs> excuse me, before the common era, this is when this assassination took place, and this is when this all happened. Now, there are many who say that uh, probably because we have a little bit uh, maybe overindulged when it came to uh, Rosh Hashanah day one and day two, um, I'm sure that everybody feels the same as I do about Rosh Hashanah. It seems to be you kind of get onto a treadmill at the beginning, you get off at the end, and uh, in between that, you have davened and you have eaten. Um, yes, you went and tossed your sins away a little bit at Tashlech as well, but there's hardly time for anything else. And it seems to be that we go from meal to meal, um, and perhaps there is just that possibility that instead of focusing on all the good things that we were supposed to focus on, of uh, coronation of God as king, of uh, proclaiming God as king, of remembering that we need to understand that everything in this world comes from the Almighty and it's his dominion that keeps everything going, that perhaps we may have um, indulged a little bit too much in uh, the foodstuffs, in the eating and the drinking part of this Yom Tov, although it is significant. There is a tremendous amount of time that is spent around the Yom Tov table on all Chagim, and therefore there is a great significance to it. But perhaps it wouldn't be bad then just to have a little bit of a fast day that follows on to kind of uh, detox, to kind of get us uh, back onto uh, the right level um, that we should be, because we have completely now immersed ourselves into what are known as the ten days of repentance. Now, it's interesting to note that um, if we think about it, obviously, just in logical terms, next week this time will be Yom Kippur. It is Yom Kippur next week, Wednesday. So there is only really one week. Why do we talk about ten days? Well, it is because the two days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur itself are included in those 10 days. The 10-day countdown or count up of these 10 days of repentance began in earnest with the beginning of Rosh Hashanah. So therefore Rosh Hashanah is included in days of repentance, although there is very little by way of repentance that actually takes place on Rosh Hashanah. It is much more of a different kind of a nature, but perhaps that's because we need to really take a careful look at what repentance means. Repentance doesn't only mean return, and repentance doesn't only mean um, saying we're sorry, and repentance doesn't only mean saying uh, apologizing for our misdemeanors, but repentance actually means understanding where we need to be, understanding our relationship with the Almighty, understanding our relationship with ourselves of what kind of a life we should be leading. And there is, in, 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 in parentheses, somewhere along the way, the idea of needing to apologize, of needing to say we're sorry, and so on. But that's much more highlighted now as we get a little closer to Yom Kippur and on Yom Kippur itself. So we have... Today, actually, we are on day number three of the ten days of repentance. It is the third day of Tishrei, but it is really 
what we would call the first day between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Some refer to it almost like a Chol uh, Hamoed, kind of an intermediary, intermediate days, like we have Sukkot time between the first and the last days of the Chag, as well as on Pesach between the first and the last days of Pesach. And so today, kind of the Chol Hamoed of uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, first day of uh, the seven days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And therefore we need to focus on repentance. We need to focus on a mode, on a mantra of repentance that is going to really carry us through this day as it will for all the remaining days between now and Yom Kippur, which is looming large on the horizon coming up on Tuesday night and Wednesday. Be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Okay, so once the fast day ends today, we then move into day number two of the days between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And if you think about it, being that it is exactly a week, of course, there is always going to be a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Not necessarily in that order, as you understand, today being the first day between those two great high festivals. Today is Wednesday. There'll be a Thursday, a Friday, a Shabbat, a Sunday, a Monday, and Tuesday, which is Erev Yom Kippur, and then Wednesday will be Yom Kippur. So each day of the week has a chance, basically, to be one of the days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And, of course, it symbolizes the fact that on these days we actually need to focus on all the Mondays of the year when it's Monday, on all the Tuesdays of the year when it's Tuesday, and so on. And so, therefore, this coming Shabbat is particularly significant. It is otherwise known as Shabbat Teshuvah or Shabbat Shuvah. And it is the Shabbos of Teshuvah, of repentance, of return, of getting back to where we should be, or Shabbat Shuvah. Named for the Haftorah that is going to be read on this coming Shabbat, which is Shuvah. Israel, that the Jewish people will return, the return of the Jewish people, Shuvah Yisrael, Ad Hashem that we need to return to God, the Lord our God, or return God to being on that highest level, and as uh, God always should be, um, depending on how you interpret it and how you look at it. But the idea of it being a significant Shabbat is not only the fact that it is the Shabbos between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and therefore significant in and of itself, but it really is the Shabbat on which we are really thinking about in a tshuva, in a repentance. We're thinking in a repentance kind of a frame of mind. Firstly, about every Shabbos in the year that passed, and making sure that we make good on all of those that perhaps we didn't keep to the best of our ability. And then thinking about the ones that we are going to kind of lay down a marker and say, this is how every Shabbat is going to be throughout this coming year. I am going to commemorate it properly. I'm going to celebrate it correctly. I'm going to make sure that I keep Shabbat, this coming Shabbat, as the forerunner to all the other Shabbosim or Shabbases for the entire year and therefore this Shabbat particularly, particularly significant. We need to focus on the seriousness of this Shabbat. It's not only a time for being in shul, but it's a time for concentrating, focusing on making sure that Shabbat has all the trimmings and trappings that it is meant to have not only on this one, 
but that we would like it to have on all of those that are going to follow in the coming year. And then we move on to the rest of this week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the most significant day then, of course, that comes up before um, next Wednesday, um, before Yom Kippur itself, is going to be Erev Yom Kippur. Now, there are all sorts of discussions um, between our sages about Yom Kippur perhaps needing to actually be for two days. Rosh Hashanah, which we just had, was two days. It wasn't two days as um, we're used to in many of the other Yomim Tovim where the second day is a date on which only outside of Israel is the day commemorated as a Chag. When it came to Rosh Hashanah, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah, there are two days, two days all over the world. It is powerful. The power of Rosh Hashanah is so powerful that it cannot be contained in one day. It is two days everywhere. And similarly, they felt when it came to Yom Kippur, how could we actually squeeze the whole of Yom Kippur into one day? And uh, therefore, perhaps it should be two, but there's a problem. We've got to fast on Yom Kippur. And the fasting on Yom Kippur is not just like today, where it is a, um, a pre-dawn to nightfall kind of a fast. The fast on Yom Kippur, of course, starts um, with nightfall uh, the evening before and goes all the way through, or sunset rather, the evening before, goes all the way through to after nightfall on the evening that follows. Um, it is uh, quite daunting. It's quite difficult and it's quite lengthy and a big demand on people to be, to have to fast for that duration of time and therefore the concept of making it into a two-day fast two days of Yom Kippur was deemed to be impractical improbable and uh, certainly um, not correct to demand from mere mortals from uh, people like you and I and therefore we um, have the day before Yom Kippur which kind of is in a way, the couple, the marriage partner of Yom Kippur itself, it is called Erev Yom Kippur, the day before Yom Kippur. And on this day, there are so many things that need to be thought about and done, but not the least of which is that it is a day on which we're supposed to eat double. It says that if we eat double on Erev Yom Kippur, um, that we ordinarily would eat, that is, on that day, um, it is deemed as though um, the day before Yom Kippur is a day of Yom Kippur as well, and it's almost as though we have doubled the power of the of the time. Now, it seems to be that everything that has to do with Judaism always has to do with eating, and on Yom Kippur, it is the one time when we're trying to get away from the eating, so to speak, and kind of be a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more angelic, um, which obviously is one of the things we're trying to accomplish on Yom Kippur. But here... We have the uniqueness and the idea uh, behind so much in Judaism, and that is that um, it is the world that has kind of, or the way of different religions that have kind of got us into the mindset that um, we can only really be spiritual when we are abstaining from something, that we can only really be spiritual when we stay away from food. We can only really be spiritual if we don't eat certain substances, certain things, meat, etc. And Torah, Judaism tells us, no, one second, there is a perhaps even more powerful way of being spiritual, and that's to take the physicality and transform it, make it into something spiritual. And therefore we have this opportunity on Tuesday coming up, Erev Yom Kippur, to look at and to think about it as a day of real transformation. And the day begins early in the morning, Tuesday morning early, 
we are supposed to do a ceremony called kaparot, kaporis. And kaparot is really the same word as Yom Kippur, lechaper, which has been translated in many, many different ways. But the word lechaper is really the idea of transformation, of turnaround, of changing something entirely. We're not tron- it's not just a day of apology. It's not just a day really of asking for forgiveness. It's a day of turnaround. And therefore we begin the two day period of Erev Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur with something called Kaparot. It is the kind of lifelike um, atonement that we hope that we will be showered with on the time and the day of Yom Kippur itself. What do we do? Well, there are many different traditions, but uh, the one that is mentioned clearly in Jewish law is the idea of taking a live chicken that is going to be slaughtered anyway, a chicken that is on its way to being slaughtered. We intercept it and we do a ceremony called kaparot where we actually are proclaiming that God, I understand the difference between life and death, and I'm holding in my hands here something that is about to die, and I realize that that could be me. And since that could be me, I want God for you to deem it as though all my reasons for having to, God forbid, be put to death are now being uh, taken on. They're being usurped by other uh, things that are going to die. I'm purchasing this. I'm going to donate it to charity. I'm going to give the proceeds of the sale. I'm going to give the proceeds of the, this actual uh, chicken for uh, somebody who is less fortunate than me to be able to consume, to be able to eat. And therefore, in this way, hopefully, whatever really was resting on my shoulders is now actually expunged. I've been exonerated. And the feeling of uh, the life force that is within something and then that life force being taken away is something that is extremely, extremely powerful for one to experience, albeit in this uh, fashion on Erev Yom Kippur. It kind of does put the uh, literally the fear of God into us. It kind of does put the awesomeness of the day into us. It kind of does make us feel um, a little bit more... Um, what is the word, sort of shaky on our feet when it comes to um, Yom Kippur and realizing that it's not a fait accompli. Um, we, um, the dis- distance between life and death is very, very, very small. It is um, a matter of milliseconds, um, and it could, God forbid, happen to anybody and anything at any time. And this moment of kaparot kind of gives us all of those and then some uh, ideas um, to uh, kind of live with for the next couple of days and hopefully from then on in. So kaparot, early in the morning, you'll find the kaparot, the kaporis service in the beginning of your machsor for Yom Kippur, in the back of your siddur. We go off, we purchase uh, this chicken, We, um, you'll see people holding it uh, over their heads, of course. Um, all of these things are done under the auspices of the SPCA, uh, ensuring that um, there is no cruelty to the animals whatsoever. And uh, therefore, it is something that is really, really a deep and profound expression of uh, the type of feeling that we are supposed to have on Erev Yom Kippur. We then go and we daven. We have our morning service of Erev Yom Kippur, which is a little bit shortened. Um, it is almost like a festive day on Erev Yom Kippur. One of the things that we try and do early in the morning, it's traditional to distribute and to eat honey cake 
cake that is baked with honey. And, of course, the sweetness of honey should still be fresh on our lips from yesterday and the day before when we were thinking about it from Rosh Hashanah. And, of course, um, the idea of honey cake being that it is given out by um, your shul, your rabbi, your gabbai um, in your particular community. And the idea of asking for it and the blessing that comes with it is that, please, God, that should be the only thing that you should have to ask for when it comes to food and sustenance for the duration of this year. So another beautiful tradition of Erev Yom Kippur. It is uh, really, really something important. He uh, speaks about it in halachic um, uh, realms and uh, and um, um, halachic ways. We've spoken about the idea of needing to go to a mikveh on Erev Yom Kippur. People should try and immerse in a mikveh on Erev Yom Kippur um, on Tuesday. Going to the mikveh, exonerating ourselves of our sins, kind of having that idea of uh, washing ourselves clean, and hopefully all of that can be accomplished on Erev Yom Kippur. There is another tradition of Erev Yom Kippur, which you may have seen, and that is uh, the distribution of what is known as malchus, or makos, the idea of lashes. Now, this is not an excuse to go and beat anybody up, and that's not what we're talking about. It's the idea of... Um, each uh, person getting a friend to tap them, kind of with sort of a tapping that takes place on the shoulders or the arch of the back, and um, in a similar way to the way that um, 39 lashes may have been distributed for sins that may have been committed, we say, well, if I have been deemed to have to get lashes, now I've got them. Somebody's tapped me on the back with a uh, strap, with a belt, and I have now been exonerated of those sins as well. I've received the punishment, albeit that the person who is getting the lashes and the one who um, is distributing them says the uh, 13-worded which is said that, please God, God will have mercy upon us. His mercifulness will come through, not only on Erev Yom Kippur, but on Yom Kippur itself and for the duration of the year. We'll be back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Welcome back. Yes, we're talking about Erev Yom Kippur. And, of course, then in the afternoon of Erev Yom Kippur, we need to eat, as we said, um, kind of a Yom Tov meal, um, preferably around about lunchtime, I guess, and then get ourselves ready for Yom Kippur. And then before we take the fast to have a uh, taking of the fast meal, although that is not nearly as important, I guess, as the one earlier on, although you may think otherwise, um, the earlier one is kind of the Yom Tov meal. This one is just to make sure you're sustained in a way. And then we launch headlong into Yom Kippur. We need to remember that Kol Nidre, which is um, exoneration for vows um, from Yom Kippur on through to the come into the next year, because of course we've been ex- hopefully exonerated already of our vows. Um, we uh, say that Kol Nidre, and it needs to be done when it is actually still light. Um, a lot of people uh, believe that Kol Nidre really is uh, the beginning of nightfall. Well, there are a number of reasons we need to make sure that men are in shul in time to put on their talus, make a bracha before it gets dark. We then say Kol Nidre, and hopefully the Kol Nidre is done. Um, as it says, just when the 
Um, the shadows are long and the uh, sun is just uh, setting on the horizon. That's kind of the right time for Kul Nidre. It's not meant to be as late as um, we sometimes push it. Um, so preferably to be in shul in time as soon as the fast comes in. Get to shul, make sure that you um, um, are there for the beginning of Kul Nidre and throughout the Kul Nidre uh, Mairif prayer that follows after that. We need to remember that on Yom Kippur itself, there are five different prayer services that are said. On Yom Kippur, different from any other day in the year, five prayer services. Now, there are five uh, prayers on Yom Kippur where, for instance, on Rosh Hashanah, which we just had, there were only four. And on most days, only three. And what we're talking about is the fact that there is a Mayriv, and then a shachrit, and then a mincha on a regular day. On a Shabbat or a Yom Tov, we add something called musaf, an additional service, and that makes it four. But when it comes to Yom Kippur, we have all of that, the additional service, and then ne'ilah, the uh, final prayer which most people know, the famous one that comes right at the end of the fast, towards the end of the fast, and that, of course, is the fifth one, and we'll have a little bit more about that in just a moment. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So there are five things that we need to remember that we're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur. And that's for the duration of Yom Kippur from the time that the fast comes in on Tuesday, late afternoon, early evening, right through until nightfall on um, Wednesday evening next week. And that is, number one, we may not eat or drink. Number two, so no eating and drinking whatsoever. Unless, of course, you have a medical condition and then need to consult with your doctor as well as your rabbi to make sure that you're doing things correctly. Number two is we may not anoint. We do not put on creams, ointments, perfumes, and so on during the day. If there's something that was on before, that's fine, but we don't use them during the day. Number three is we do not bathe. No bathing or showering. In fact, when we wash our hands, we only wash the fingertips um, in the morning for our negelwasser, our uh, early morning uh, washing that takes place. Um, number four is that we do not wear leather shoes. Um, now, that does not mean that we cannot wear anything else of leather. It only applies to shoes. Leather shoes are not worn. We should wear some um, other material shoes. And number five is um, uh, physical intimacy is uh, forbidden for the duration of Yom Kippur. So those five things, and then there are five prayer services. And the five prayer services, we are told, correspond to five different dimensions of the soul. The soul is... Um, really comprised or has different names and each one reflecting a different dimension of the soul. There is nefesh, there is ruach, there is neshama, there is chaya, and there is yechida, five different dimensions of the soul, all really meaning a part, a fragment, a piece of your soul. And on Yom Kippur, we try to refine each one of those parts through one of the prayer services. And one of them is Mayriv in the evening. We've done that. We get Shachrit in the morning and so on. The final one, of course, the mo most important, uh, the most powerful of them all, that end one, Neila, is when we engage in a phase of uh, refining, of thinking about um, the idea of Yechida, when we are one-on-one -on -one at an absolute, complete 
one-on-one-ness, if there can be such a thing, between ourselves and the Almighty. Hopefully we'll be able to accomplish that and that we will have a very, very importantly uh, powerful Yom Kippur this year, one that has great meaning for us and one that really, really accomplishes what we set out to accomplish, which is the real cleansing of ourselves, of our souls, and hopefully of our entire world. And um, please, God, we should all be blessed that we should have a Gemar Chatimatova, that all the good things that were written down for us um, came Rosh Hashanah should now be sealed for the coming year, that that is really the way that it's going to be um, <coughs> a year filled with blessings, with simchas, with nachas, with all good things, and lots and lots of time to enjoy them as well. So obviously, being Yom Kippur next week, won't be back with you next week, but hopefully will be the week after that. Um, look forward to um, speaking to you and speaking with you once again. Then I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up, up, up ahead, and I want to wish you proverbially well over the fast, but hopefully the fast is well over you as well. Take care.